I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Welcome to another bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My co-host is Greg Cott. And if you want to be the first to hear these bonus podcasts, become a Sound Opinions member on Patreon. Like Charles Wynn from Denver, Colorado. Thank you, Charles, for your support. It is a big part of what keeps the show coming to you. So uh, Greg and I often like to add another song to the Desert Island Jukebox. It's an endless playlist (laughs) Mm. on our virtual DIJ. Greg, and uh, you're going to lay a song on us today that you can't live without. Give us a slight hint of what you're going to play. Well, I'm going to do another addition to that uh, mini travel log I've been doing. We've been doing a lot of -of out-of-town weddings. I went to New York City uh, in December, and uh, I got to see the Lou Reed exhibit while I was there. I'm going to talk about that. All right. That'll be in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back, and Greg is still high from his travels, and Greg is a huge Lou Reed fan. What are you going to play? Jim, I'm going to play Lou Reed, as you said. The New York Public Library has this terrific exhibit of uh, Lou Reed. It's kind of a, uh, a, a sampling of his archive, apparently, mm-hmm. which is vast. I mean, you get a sense of how big that archive is. Laurie Anderson, his former partner, has done a wonderful job of curating this exhibit along with her staff. And uh, it was well worth it. People asked me, well, how long did you spend? I said, I, Deb went shopping. I spent three and a half hours there. I said, <laughs> I could have easily done another three and a half because there's so much to see, so much rare video and audio, plus personal correspondence, memorabilia. You know, his mentor, Delmore Schwartz, signed a book to him, and you mm-hmm. get that little inscription of what he said to Lou. You know, I, I just yeah. have to insert, as a lifelong New Yorker, Lou, and having grown up across the yeah. river myself and knowing New York, where did Lou keep this stuff? You know, there had to be like 10 storage units somewhere. If not on the Lower East Side, maybe he'd go back out home to Long Island or, you know... I'm sure, and it, and it, apparently he did keep it. You know that yeah. that was the thing. He he did keep records of of what he had done, and and I'm sure he had people around him who were at at various points in his life contributing to that. I know that when he got married for the second time, you know, his second wife was very instrumental in Sylvia. that. Sylvia Reed. She did a great job of sort of bringing together a lot of the archival stuff. And Laurie uh, continued that work, I believe. You know, there's little things like a a great letter that Doug Yule wrote, Mm. Lou, 30 years after they had split ways. And and, and it was a very heartfelt letter that's kind of like, it's really great to see that kind of stuff. The original poem that inspired Coney Island Baby, you know, Lou wanted, Mm. you know, after the Velvets uh, split up, they really dove deep into this era where Lou was uh, doing poetry primarily and getting it published in various places. So we saw the original manuscripts of those kind of things. But of course, the music's uh, why you go there. Oh, yeah, I should mention the dog collar. The, the one that he wore on rock and roll, uh, the, the rock and roll animal album cover. He, so he's got a retail. Take it off to tie up and shoot up on stage. Right. He's got a retail outlet known as the Pleasure Chest from which he bought this mm. uh, item. Apparently, you know, right around the yeah, same time I, that I, tour I was beginning. Went to school in New York. I yeah, know it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The thing I want to focus on, I, there was a lot of really fascinating video, a rare stuff from tours, from rehearsals. The one I want to talk about is that band that he had in the late 90s. I thought it was a terrific band. I got to see them play 
uh, a bunch of shows. The Mike Rathke, Fernando Sanders, Tony Smith trio of guys backing yeah. him that were simpatico. Fernando had been working with him for a long time. And yeah. Rathke on guitar became a very close collaborator. Tony Smith just a powerhouse drummer. And they're doing a rehearsal of one of his best-known tracks, Vicious, completely mm-hmm. reinventing it as sort of... Hit me sp- with a flower. Stripped down. And, you know, I always thought the, the version on the on the original Transformer album was, you know, it was almost like he was jokey about it. You yeah. know, it was kind of a flamboyant track. And I, I thought there was real power there, but he was sort of undercutting that with the arrangement. Bowie was producing that record, obviously. But this is more of a groove bass, and it's a driving, almost R&B vibe to the song. And it, it, it's really cool. And I realized that he had done sort of an acoustic-like take on a, all of his music on a tour right around that time. And actually, that album was released. So I don't have mm. the particular performance that I saw in audio or on video. But the performance around this time kind of reflects what he was doing with his music. He was reinventing a lot of his songs in more stripped-down, semi-acoustic fashion. So there is a tour from 97 uh, where he was playing the Meltdown Festival in London, Mm. a perfect night live in London, acoustic versions of a lot of his songs with this band, Reed on guitar and vocals, Mike Rathke on guitar, Fernando Saunders on bass and backing vocals, Tony Thundersmith on drums. And here's a version of Vicious from that album. Oh, honey, you're so vicious. When I see you coming, I just gotta run. You ain't no good, and you really ain't no fun. That is Lou Reed with Vicious, kind of an example of some of the highlights, uh, an example of how this Lou Reed exhibit in New York sort of digs beyond the surface of the best-known Reed stuff to show how his music evolved over the decades. You you and I have to do like a five- or six-hour bonus podcast at some point and and go over our varying opinions of the Reed solo canon, right? Because it's it's up and down. It's it's extremely erratic. But I, I, I always thought Rathke and Smith were rather generic over players, especially compared to the the really best band he had in the solo years, which was Robert Quine, Fred Mayer, and Saunders. Well, that's why I think uh, listening to this would be a revelation for you because they don't overplay on these yeah, tracks. I've, it's I've very stripped that. down, mm-hmm. and, and it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know I, I thought it was believe me seeing seeing that rehearsal from '99 was was revelatory. I was like, wow, and yeah. and not to mention Lou's in a good mood. <laughs> well, that's rare. That's, you yeah. Know? yeah, and he's enjoying the band, and, just, and, and he's calling up a saxophone solo. He's such a super fan, you know. It, I it's love like your your objective not that you ever want a critic to be objective no it's 100% subjective but you just become a little kid when we talk about Lou Reed me I'm really excited about the upcoming interview we have with John Cale all right and me too uh, and uh, I should add with this Lou Reed archive that's uh, being displayed at the uh, New York Public Library I believe it's closing in early March so if you're in New York uh, in the next so few weeks now. try to go now because it's not going to be there in the summer all right. Greg Cott, waxing rhapsodic about Lou Reed. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Lauren Holt. The queen of social media is Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.